Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall, and this week I'm joined by Letitia Cook. She's the president and CEO of Beer Culture. We're talking about job creation in the beer industry and the organization's new initiative called the Sparks Foundation. First, I'm glad to say that New Zealand Hops is a proud sponsor of Drink Beer, Think Beer. Harvest has officially ended in New Zealand, and there are exciting hops to choose from, including Nelson Savin, Matuika, Ruwaka, and the newest hop in the lineup, Nectaron. The white wine, stone fruit, and tropical fruit notes layered with pine, citrus, and herbal notes offer a range of flavors unlike any other growing region in the world. Learn more about what they can do for your beers by visiting nzhops.co.nz or finding NZ Hops on social media. Also, Check out BeerEdge.com to sign up for the newsletter and to catch up with all of your clothing and glassware needs from the This Week in Rauk Beer page, Camp Rauk Beer, and Defend Pilsner. Go to BeerEdge.com slash merch to learn more. I'm really excited to have Letitia Cook on the show this week. I've had the occasion to talk with her in the past, and her passion for beer, for sparking conversations, collaborations, and a drive for a more inclusive beer industry and community is infectious. We've talked about the need for diversity and diverse perspectives on the show before, and Cook has been at the forefront of the initiatives for several years now. The latest way beer culture is advancing the cause is through the Sparks Foundation, who will be giving four $5,000 grants to four deserving Black men per year, she says. We're going to talk about that, and opportunities, and generational wealth, and all the other things beer culture has going on. But first, because not everyone is familiar with the organization, I started off by asking her to give a little background on how it all started. Here's our conversation. Take me back in time to when you founded beer culture and what you wanted it to be originally, and where it is today and if that sort of scores with the original vision. Yeah. Um, so beer culture started in 2017. Um, it was co-founded by my husband and I, uh, my husband, Dom Cook. Um, we didn't really plan for beer culture to become what it is essentially. Um, when we started, you know, we started as enthusiasts, as people who just enjoyed drinking beer. Um, so part of our journey was practically stumbling upon beer, uh, if you will. Um, you know, and my, my, my son passed away uh, some years ago, and my husband uh, was looking for just the next something at that time. Um, and he came across a book called Of God and Guinness. And with that book, he found beer. Um, and so after, you know, he, he finished reading the book, he was like, okay, I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to get some Guinness and I'm going to try this beer that I read so much about that's so life-changing. Um, and he came back home with the beer and he's like, oh my God, this is amazing. You know, it's, it's roasty, it's chocolatey. You should try it. And I tasted and I was not enthusiastic as he was. I was like, yeah, mm, I can do without <laughs> this, but you enjoy. Um, and so he, he loved it. And he went on this journey himself of uh, finding, you know, more craft beers. 
And as, you know, his partner, uh, he tried to take me on that journey with him. And it was not a very fun journey for me because practically every beer that he would get me to taste was disgusting. It's just, it wasn't my cup of tea, yeah. uh, but he liked it. And so he kind of made it his mission to find a beer that I would enjoy. Uh, and eventually, <laughs> after, after some years, he did. Uh, so we came across uh, Lambic. Um, uh, it was Fremois, actually, um, the raspberry, and I fell in love. Um, and so from there, you know, uh, my palate became a change, and then I too became a beer lover. So with that, you know, you start to Google and you want to find places where you can go and enjoy it fresh. And so we found out that there were these places called breweries. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> wow. Uh, so we started Burn to in frequent yeah. some. Yeah. <laughs> so we started to frequent some. Um, and immediately you can tell the difference. Um, you know, you go in, the people are friendly, they greet you, um, but there are not very many people who look like you or who come from the same, you know, background that you do. And so you kind of feel like an outcast in a place where, you know, there, there are people like you. Uh, so we go, we'd sit in the corner, we'd enjoy our beer, and then we leave. Um, and that was practically our experience for the first couple of years. Um, and so like most people, it's just like, okay, well, I'm not going to spend money to, to go to a place where I don't enjoy myself. So I'll just enjoy it at home. Um, and so we began having those conversations with each other. That's like, okay, well, why is it that when we go to these places that we're, we're the only ones in the room, you're the unicorn, right? Um, and so we were like, look, this is, this is what we're going to do. We're going to pack the car. We're going to go to the store, pack the car up, hit the block, and have some people sample beer. Um, because obviously, you know, the, the craft beer market isn't promoting to, to us in our hoods. So we got to do it. Um, and so that's what we did. And that's the birth story of beer culture. Um so essentially from there, we began to, you know, sell merch um, and kind of branched into a lifestyle brand um, yeah. from there. Um, and that's our beginnings. It's so, it, 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 in some ways it kind of mirrors, you know, some of the early days of, of even craft beer where there were enthusiasts and there were people who were curious about flavors and they found, you know, people who wanted to share you know, their similar interests and they, and, and, and they went to breweries. Although I guess the, 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 the major difference would be, you know, if it was middle-aged white guys who were getting together, which is still you know, largely what craft beer is comprised of, um, the conversation probably wasn't all that difficult to have among strangers. Right. Um, when, when, when you were visiting breweries, was it a cold shoulder or was it just, you, you described being like a unicorn. Um, what, what were the experiences like for you and husband when you were in the, these breweries? Were people, I mean, I hope people were polite, but I also know that, you know, sometimes people are terrible. Yeah, no, people were absolutely polite. Um, our experience has never been, you know, met with brash disrespect. 
um, it, it's always been polite. So, hey, you know, welcome. What can we get for you? And you tell them what you want and then you go and you sit down and you enjoy it by yourself. <laughs> you know, that has been our experience. Um, you know, there, there'll be a person next to you who will give you a hey, and that's what, that's it. The, the conversation it. ends there. Yeah. Um, you know, when you feel like you are connected to someone, initially the conversation grows from there. And I think our experience was what it was because there was no connection um, based on commonalities. Um, and so that was our experience. It wasn't, you know, met with just coldness, but in a sense, it, it, it was lonely. Um, and, and we spent a large amount of time like that. It, 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 you've, you've told me this before in other, in other conversations, not on the podcast, but yeah, and, and, and it just seems so counterintuitive to what craft wants to be. Um, or what craft claims to be um, in, in, in so many ways. And so taking the initiative and, you know, just creating spaces where you could have conversations with people who wanted to have conversations. Um, you, you like talking to folks, you like, you know, being out in the world, it, 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 it seems. Um, that just sort of was a natural extension, right? For, for the creation of beer culture of just being able to, to have these conversations? Absolutely. Um, so when we started, you know, we took our experience and started talking a lot about it on social media. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of the conversation began there with why are things the way that they are? Um, and then we start to think about how it is in the world we live in, right? Um, craft beer is, is no different than, than the world we're a part of. And so you start to look at a lot of those, you know, systemic ways that affect people differently. And you take that into, you know, your experience in different places, not, not even in just a, a brewery, right? Um, at a regular bar, at a restaurant, you know, things, things are different. Um, and so we began to have those conversations online and engage with a lot of, you know, professionals and drinkers alike. Um, and then people began to kind of become open to the things that we were saying and, and learn and grow from them. Um, and then that kind of just transitioned into, you know, where we are today. It was all a natural progression um, from, you know, enjoying beer ourselves to discussing, you know, the issues of society to actually doing things to impact, uh, that change, uh, to the issues that we were seeing. You mentioned social media and in so many ways, uh, Twitter can be terrible. Um, oh, goodness, in, in, yes. in, in, in most of the ways. Um, but it can also be really powerful and it can also help connect people under common interests. And, you know, then hopefully it branches out beyond, you know, what is it? 280 characters these days to yeah. you know, having real conversation and, you know, not just sniping and, 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 and meaning, um, would, would you have been able 
to get beer culture off the ground and 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 I want to keep talking about the evolution but without social media without some of the positive attributes of it um I think social media has done a great job at being the connector um that's where a lot of relationships were built um so yes we could have done what we've done with without it because a lot of what we do is on the ground um however i don't think that we could have done it at the capacity that we have without social media hmm. so you go from getting together with people you start selling merch and everybody loves merch um and then i i think you probably could have had two paths. You could have just been having a good time and selling swag and, you know, kind of having a party with everything. Um, or you could go and start to, to, to do good things and not that selling merch isn't a good thing, but, um, and you chose the, you chose the latter though. You chose to, um, really turn this community uh, that you and your husband built into a, a force for good. Yeah. Um, a part of that is because naturally it's who we are. Um, so even prior to beer culture, before all of this, my husband and I were heavily engaged in our communities. Um, we've always felt the need to be a resource for the people around us because in some ways we didn't have that. Um, and so when there, you know, were a need in terms of, you know, single moms who, you know, couldn't get diapers or, or food for their kids, we would empty our bank account to make sure that, you know, their needs were being met. And we found that when we were, when we started beer culture, um, and we were doing merch and we were engaging, you know, with, with our community, that those, those needs were still there. Um, and they kind of just merged together. So a lot of what we were doing in our beginnings were funded from, from our pocket. You know, I, I work a nine to five, my husband worked a nine to five yeah. and we, we made it work so that we can still help our community when they needed it. Um, and so where we are today, it just made sense um, for beer culture to elevate uh, and to become a nonprofit so that we could bridge the partnership with the craft community and our hyper-local communities and impact change. Um, you know, you think about what craft beer is to the people who are in this community. It is community, or at least that's, that's what we say. Mm -hmm. um, and so a large part of what we want to do is actually be the community that we say we are. Um, and a large part of that comes with the action piece behind it. Um, what does it mean to be in community with people? It's that togetherness. Um, and we can't be together when, you know, we're divided. Um, and so it, it was just a natural progression to, you know, go the nonprofit route so that we can be a bridge for our communities. So that bridges to impact change. Where did you start? 
what was the what was the first thing as you you get to a nonprofit status uh, the first that you thing wanted was to address culture. the first thing was culture for the kids um, a large part of the conversation with uh, you know brewery owners brewers was okay you know I, I would love to connect with the people in our direct community the issue is, I don't know how, how do we get them to come into the doors? And it's like, you don't, you have to get outside of your brewery walls and nobody understands that, you know? Well, how, how do we do that? And so when we went nonprofit, uh, we started an initiative called Culture for the Kids. Um, This was during the time when COVID just started, Uh, families were at home, you know, people were losing jobs, uh, no funds, no community, no nothing. And it was just like, well, how do we, you know, impact the community with where we are right now? Um, And so we decided that, okay, we were gonna do uh, a backpack drive nationally. And what that involved was reaching out to breweries and saying, hey, will you be a a pickup and a drop-off space for school supplies so that you can impact your local community. Um, And so many people said yes and came on board. We had over uh, 150 breweries sign up to impact change in their direct communities around the world. Um, And with that, uh, we ended up doing about 4,500 backpacks. nationally it was amazing and a lot of the feedback we were getting was oh my god my neighbors are now frequenting our brewery because we met during this drive and so it just starts with getting outside of the brewery walls and and connecting with the people on the ground in a real and meaningful way to where they trust you to even care about coming into your establishments. Yeah. I, it, it's interesting because I, I think there are brewers and breweries that say, you know, it, it, regardless of where they are, they say, okay, um, you know, the beer fans hopefully will drive from wherever uh, and they'll sit in our tap room and, and, and won't that be great? Um, and then it's, you know, it's that question of you say like, but, you know, how do we engage with the community that we're in, um, you know, especially if they're, you know, in a diverse area? Um, right. It, it, is it enough, though, to, to, well, let me back up. I guess the question from, from your perspective over the years, because you used to go into breweries and you'd have brief, nice pleasantries, and then that would be it. And so you had to then go and, you know, create your own thing to, you know, feel a, a better connection with beer. For the, for the brewers that really do want to engage with the community, you know, the, the drives are great. The initiatives are great. Um, what should the inside space be like? Like once you get people to come in for the first time, um, how, how do you, what do you, what do you recommend they do? to keep people, you know, to come back a second time and a third time and a 20th time. I love that you asked that. Um, and, and it begins with you. Uh, I have this conversation with, with owners all the time. What does your staff 
look like? What does it feel like inside? If it's just a comfortable space for you, that is not enough. You have to look at the community that you're in and your space should mirror that. And so if I, you know, walk into your space and I'm, I'm the unicorn, that's, that's the problem, right? I should be able to connect with someone in your space, you know, whether it's your, your bar staff, whether it's somebody in the back of house, whether it's, you know, somebody that's making sure the bathrooms are okay, whether it's your tap room manager, someone, there should be someone there to connect to. Um, we have to be representative of the communities that we're in. And so it starts there by diversifying your team. Um, you know, no more hiring your, your best friend and your cousin and, you know, keeping it in that small circle. You got to get outside of that and really bring in people from the community. Um, and so that, that's why the, the job board was born. Yeah. Um, you know, people were saying all the time, we, we can't get people to apply for these jobs. We can't connect with anybody outside of, you know, the, the people that we know directly. Yes, you can. Absolutely, indeed, you can. Um, and so the, the Beer Culture Job Board essentially allows employees to post positions that they have available. And then our supporters and followers who um, we've been able to gain their trust over the years, believe us when we say these people are intentionally looking to hire and diversify their tap rooms and they apply. And so today you can visibly see the difference and the impact just that intentionality has been able to make in tap rooms worldwide. And so that, that I wanted to talk about the job board because last summer, um, as people were talking more about diversity in, in, in the beer industry uh, in light of Black Lives Matter and uh, the murder of George Floyd and uh, everything that was happening last year, um, there, there was so much talk about, okay, well, how do we uh, you know, recruit? How do we you know, actually hire for uh, diverse places or diversity in our place? Um, the, the folks who are on your job board, are, are you asking them to, to demonstrate somehow like like an actual willingness as opposed to just saying like you know yes we 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 want to do this too um without much thought behind it indeed um so a lot of that comes with those private conversations um initially when you sign up for the job board you submit your post um after that there's a follow up uh between either myself or a member of our team all right, so let's talk about your position. Let's talk about what it is that you're looking for. Um, what is it that you're doing in your tap room? Because the problem becomes then, like let's say for example, yes, you post the position on our job board, you get, uh, for an example, a black male to apply and you end up offering them the job. Now this black male is the unicorn in your establishment, yeah. right? So he doesn't have a great experience and it doesn't last. And so there has to be the work that's happening behind the scenes that's changing the culture of your space in order for it to be welcoming for people coming in. 
Um, and that's a large part of the conversation that, but that's the thing that the people don't see. Um, a lot of the conversations that are happening behind the scenes about what is it that we're doing in our spaces to make a difference. And for, because you know, we're still, I, I, we're now in the summer of 2021. This was the, the conversation of the summer of uh, 2020. Um, there's still a lot of breweries that haven't had this conversation yet. Um, and, and that's painfully obvious when I'm having, you know, conversations outside of the podcast, you know, with places, um, people are still sort of fumbling around and still trying to figure out, um, where to even start that conversation. Um, and, and it's tricky, uh, because, you know, I, I think, I hope people by, by and large are well-intentioned. Um, but there's also, you know, I, people are nervous talking about race. People are nervous about talking about diversity, um, uh, you know, and so that nervousness, it's, it, it's my feeling when I'm talking to, to, to some brewery and brewery owners, um, they're just so nervous that they don't even want to open their mouth and start the conversation. Um, what's a good first question? For a brewery owner? Yeah. Who, you know, who's well-intentioned, but, you know, or wants to be well-intentioned, but just has not. I don't know, made that first step yet or opened their mouth yet? Um, you, you have to get out of that box. And it, sorry to say, but not sorry to say, it's just that frank. Like when you think about riding a bike for the first time, it's scary and you're going to fall, yeah. <laughs> right? You don't want to do it because it's like, I know I'm going to fall. I don't know how to do this, but you get on, you try you fall, you get a scratch and you recover and you keep trying until eventually you learn how to ride the bike. It's the same way in, in this sense. You're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna say something wrong. You're gonna do something wrong. The, end of the, the point of the matter though, is that you have to do something. If you say that you're well-intentioned, you have to be well-intentioned. There has to be that action piece behind it um, and so you have to, you know, do the thing that's scary in yeah. order to progress. I, for, for the people who are, because I, I, I hear what you're saying and, I, and I'm, I'm, I, I, I love it. And, and I, I, but I do think people think about the fall and they think about saying something wrong and then going back to social media, if, you know, it's blasted out there all of a sudden, you know, it's a pretty public and spectacular fall. Um, which can make getting on the bike harder again. Um, I'm mixing and metaphors it all over the place. Yeah, it, it is. It is scary. And it is a privilege to sit and be scared. When you think about, you know, the experience of the under the underserved, mm -hmm. there isn't the privilege of dealing with life in a way that protects you. Um, and it's the same way on the flip side, you have to get out of that, that security bubble of being scared. And I understand it is scary to say something and then your entire business is canceled because mm -hmm. you said something that's yeah. risky, but it is also a privilege. And so when we discuss, you know, wanting to be the change, no matter how scary it is, you have to be it. It is nothing if it is simply a thought in your head, your intention does nothing. 
Um, and that sounds harsh and, and it's not meant in that way, but it's the truth. Intentions do nothing. It is the action pieces behind the intentions. Um, and so what I like to tell people um, is, is partnership and collaboration is so important. Um, and beer culture tries to be a mirror of that because we don't just collaborate with anybody, right? We have like a strict interview process where we make sure that at the end of the day, we can confidently say to the best of our ability that we know a partner or someone that we're collaborating with is yes, well-intentioned, but they're also doing the actionable items behind their intentions uh, to, to provide an inclusive space. Um, and so with that, the thought is to work with people on the ground. You don't have to get out of the bubble and do this by yourself. Collaborate with people get together with somebody who offers, you know, the assistance in helping breweries diversify their tap rooms and spaces. Um, I talk to Dr. J all the time. She has a service for yeah. brewery owners that helps you with this. And so connect with somebody like that or other people on the ground who are doing the work and then do the work. Um, it doesn't have to be alone. You can partner up with somebody and, and get it done. So speaking of partners, that's uh, a pretty decent segue, I hope, uh, to Primitive Beer and a, a new collaboration that you've done with them uh, called A Toast to Legends, which is now going to help uh, the proceeds of that beer are going to help fund this new Sparks Foundation that you created. Um, I want to hear about the beer second, but first, um, I'd love for, in your own words, to tell me about the Sparks Foundation. Yeah, Um so the Sparks Foundation was born um, out of love and respect. Um, my husband and I had a childhood friend, his name was Darren Sparks. Um, and like many African-American men or like many brown men who, who grow up in the world, um, they're, they don't have the privilege of, you know, leading a life of meaning. Um, and so Darren, you know, he had a he had a rough childhood. He grew up in the Soundview section of the Bronx, where you know he encountered gangs and he led that life. Um, in his adulthood as a man, he tried to turn his life around. And, you know, he got a job, he was going through training in order to become a tech. Uh, he had two daughters and was trying to completely walk away from the things that haunted him of his youth in order to provide a future for his children. And so, a few years ago, you know, he was gunned down a block away from his home. And so the Sparks Foundation was born in order to provide a way for men who are trying to get out of a certain lifestyle and lead a life with purpose 
um, oftentimes you don't get to live out your dreams. You know, I, I Googled one evening, I sat down and Googled. I was looking for what's out there that supports men of color. Mm-hmm. I was able to find a plethora of, you know, things that I could apply for as a, a, a Black woman, uh, as a Hispanic woman. Um, but there weren't very many things for men. And you have to look at the way society looks at men, right? Pull up your bootstraps and get it done, brother. That's that's the way, you know, society tells it to you. But there, that's, that's why there's no support for you. Um, and so the Sparks Foundation was born to be that support, to give a leg up for those who are trying to do something positive. You mentioned in in this announcement um, that it also can help with family legacy and generational wealth. And it's it it it's something that I, I hadn't really been thinking about. Uh, too much before I, I I read this initial announcement, and but with the idea of not just you know, a, a, a temporary pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but um, a, a, a grant that is designed for long term, designed for legacy, not just not just quick relief. Indeed, um, what you think about like sometimes all you need is somebody to say hey, I see you, let me support you, let me help you where you are without expecting you know, anything in return. Sometimes you have to, uh, I remember times when we were down and out and you have to jump through so many hoops just to get some help. And it's like, listen, we don't wanna make it harder for you. We wanna make it a little easier. So you apply for the grant, should you, you know, be awarded, there's, there's nothing expected of you in return other than to live out your dream to the fullest. Um, I'm sorry. It means a lot to me to be able to support our brothers in this way. Um, I'm looking at the future of where we can be as a community of people, if we offer this kind of support to our brothers now, to where they can get trades, to where they can start that business. If we look at, you know, let's say five years from now, we'll be awarded 20 grants. That's 20 black businesses funded and started by black men. That's life-changing, that's legacy building. If you think about how that affects their children and their children's children to be able to say, yes, my dad started this business. Now I I work for dad in a business that he started. That's life-changing. We've seen with the the beer connection over the last couple of years, there have been, collaborations there's been uh, uh beers for good causes for charities for uh, uh different groups of, of of people who have been down and out at, at various stages of the pandemic or, or beyond um 
and a lot of times those are IPAs, quick turnaround. Uh, you know, there's a you know, black is beautiful is out there as a as a, as a stout. Um, I I was really kind of struck by you working with primitive beer and doing their method traditional, their you know American lambic, um, because it it actually takes a couple of years to to get that beer ready. It's a blended two or right. three year uh, beer. W- was that purposeful to to have a beer that takes time? Absolutely. First of all, I'm going to say this. Primitive is one of one of my favorite people to work with, um, besides the fact that they're just incredible human beings. Yeah, Brandon and Lisa they, were on the show a couple of months ago. They're awesome. Yeah. They are incredible. They're incredible. And they are passionate about Black men. Let me tell you. <laughs> okay. Brandon and Lisa and I were texting at four o'clock in the morning talking about the Sparks Foundation and, you know, funding it with the the beer that we have, A Toast to Legends. Um, They share just that drive and that passion um, in order to see the community do well. Um, And so this beer is is perfect. And and I'm going to take it back to our original conversation of how beer culture started. My husband liked the Guinness, right? It it Mm -hmm. wasn't for me. The Lambic put me on. And so I feel like this is the perfect kind of beer for a new beer drinker, someone who's entering this space for the very first time. Um, you know, it's it's perfect. It gets your palate wet (laughs) and it it turns you out. I know that it sounds crazy the way I'm describing it, but that's exa- that was my experience. And, and that it's, has it's been peaches, the experience it's of- peaches and peach pits in here. Indeed. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. But um, even when we did the, the tasting for a toast to legends, uh, we did one here locally at green bench mm-hmm. and non-beer drinkers. All you heard all day was, Oh my God, this is amazing. It reminds me of a champagne. It reminds me of this. People were able to connect it to something in their lives and they love it. Um, when you say non-beer drinkers, I'm going to guess that's folks in the wine space. Um, no, not even just okay. people who just don't drink. <laughs> they don't drink beer, period. Um, they think of beer as oh, it's disgusting. It's cheap. It's nasty. <laughs> um, and it's like, you have no idea, honey. This is this is great. This, <laughs> you know, um, I will point out uh, just because I'm sure people are curious as to where they can get the beer. It's um, 750 milliliter bottles, 375 milliliter bottles, and they're available with shipping actually to 23 states at primitive.beer. So uh, you can go get a Toast to Legends there. And if you're in one of the good 23 states, uh, go get it. Go to the barrel room if you're living in Colorado or you know, if you're in one of the other states that doesn't get shipping, uh, call up a friend. And, have 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 them get it. Um, I love it. I'm I'm mindful of your time, but I, I'm curious as to when you're talking to folks who don't like beer, um, who who aren't drinking beer, um, but who taste a, a toast to legend, uh, legends, and you know, they're 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 enamored. This beer has a good cause behind it, and the work that you're doing is important. Um, 
do you miss those conversations? Do you still try to have the conversations though with people who didn't know about beer, like you and your husband when when he first started reading the book and 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 got into it? Is there still a a mission inside of you and beer culture um, to just have those lighthearted conversations? Can can we still Absolutely. have lighthearted conversations? Absolutely. Those are some of our favorite times. Um, that is that is a part of our mission. Um, we do this for the people who um, are, are not marketed to. Um, that that was us, right? We we stumbled upon beer, and oh my goodness, since then the change. Um, and so that's some of our favorite times is talking to people who have no idea that beer is what it is. Um, you know, even, even the book, uh, if you look at the website now, we've got um, this ain't the beer that you're used to back up on the website. Uh, now that, you know, people are being vaccinated and, and we're going outside, um, we're able to, you know, come together and have those conversations again. So we're able to do things like tastings um, where we can connect with our community members and say, hey, like, you know, this, this is good beer. Um, and actually find things that they like and have those conversations and build um, that those are our favorite times indeed. So yes, to answer the question, we are still doing that. And, and that is absolutely enamored in who we are still to this day. Uh, I want to point out just before I let you go that uh, for more information on the Sparks Foundation, uh, or if you want to apply for a grant or know somebody who wants to apply for a grant, it's uh, beerculture.com. That's uh, K-U-L-T-U-R-E uh, slash Sparks Foundation. Um, we're recording this mid-June, mid-end of June, but uh, the applications have been up since the first of this month, and they're going to go through the middle of next month, July 16th. So, um, And I guess we'll find out who it is in August. Have have Indeed. have you been have you been getting a lot of folks applying? Are there you're going to hand out four this time around? Are there hopefully enough applications to make it a little bit competitive? Yeah, absolutely. It's extremely competitive already. Okay. Um, usually, they always are. Even the Cicerone scholarships are completely competitive. Um, but yes, to answer the question, indeed. Well, the six people who listen to this show, I'm sure, are going to be very excited by it. So, thank you for. Uh, uh yeah uh <laughs> bad joke uh it's seven people <laughs> it's people. seven people now yeah we're very we're we're we're, we're really blessed um Leticia, thanks as always for taking the time and thanks for sharing about the, the the sparks foundation today and for doing what you're doing it's um it's 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 really cool to watch from afar and uh, even though uh, I've said this to you before, uh, that the Park Chester section of the Bronx is is clearly the best section of the Bronx. Um, I hope that we can put our differences aside for oh, no. supremacy and uh, oh, no. uh, and get a pint in, in, in person sometime soon. <laughs> uh, just to be clear for the seven <laughs> of your listeners. It's I now down to five. Out there, yeah. <laughs> the Fordham Road section is the best section. That's where I grew up. <laughs> I don't know. I just, you know, I, I, I have to go back to my mom's roots. That's all. It's, uh, you know, the, the Parkchester Irish Catholics is, uh, uh, strong in my, <laughs> in my lineage, but, uh, we'll, we'll discuss it in Pines, uh, uh, in person. So, uh, Indeed. thanks again for, thanks for doing this. Thank you, John. This has been great. It's always great talking with the John Hall. So oh, thank stop. you. I appreciate stop. you. <laughs>
That's Letitia Cook, and my thanks again to her for taking the time to talk. Learn more about the foundation and the organization by visiting beerculture.com. That's culture with a K. And there are important things happening in and around beer. So I want to know what's on your mind. Where should the focus be? Drop me a line on email. It's John Hall, J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at beeredge.com or on Twitter at John underscore Hall. And check out beeredge.com for our merch page, for joining the This Week in Rauk Beer group on Facebook, and to sign up for the newsletter. And if you're interested in supporting the work we do, you can learn about advertising by reaching out to Liz Melby. She's also on email at Liz at beeredge.com. And speaking of that, NZ Hops is a proud sponsor of Drink Beer, Think Beer. Harvest has officially ended in New Zealand, and there are exciting hops to choose from, including Nelson Savin, Matuika, Ruwaka, and the newest hop in the lineup, Nectaron. The white wine, stone fruit, and tropical fruit notes layered with pine, citrus, and herbal notes offer a range of flavors unlike any other growing region in the world. Learn more about what they can do for your beers by visiting nzhops.co.nz or finding NZ Hops on social media. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday. BYO Nano Podcast is on the 15th of every month. Nate Schwaber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed the logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes of this show release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.